I don't know how many of you, like me, are glad and happy to see gray winter days going away and the, the trees beginning to turn green and uh, the sun beginning to shine. You know, one of the things that's an encouragement to me is there's flowers. Brother James, what are those, those little yellow flowers that are right outside the parsonage? Do you know, that I see them everywhere in, in different places. I don't know if they're daffodils or what they are, but they're, they, they come up, you see green shoots coming up, sometimes while there's even still snow on the ground. And then eventually you'll see those yellow blossoms come out. I, I'm not sure what, what those flowers are, but it's encouraging when there's gray, rainy, sometimes snowy days to look and see those little green shoots coming up out of the ground that lets you know that spring is around the corner. And it's a sign of new life. And it brings joy and gladness to our hearts. Amen. I want to talk to you for a little bit this morning about joy. And whenever I think about joy, I can't help but think about my sweet grandmother. I don't know how many of you would recognize her from this picture. She's probably different than she looked when she was here uh, singing for you quite a number of years ago. She doesn't look too bad for 92 years old. Uh, I have always thought she was a very beautiful lady, and uh, seeing her just even almost throughout all stages of her life, uh, she has always been a, a, a very beautiful lady, and uh, she's beautiful inside and out. She is uh, a prayer warrior. She knows and she loves God, and... Um, one of the things that I think of whenever I remember her, um, she is, is still with us, by the way. She's uh, in, in a uh, care facility now in Indiana and um, uh, doing pretty well. Um, she is a, 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 uh, either a roommate or a close neighbor now to the lady that my mom took piano lessons from when my mom was a young girl. And... Um, uh, my grandmother and this other lady have started a a small choir in their uh, in their nursing home where they live, and uh, just she's still doing what she can to serve Jesus. And um, but whenever we would go to visit them at uh, their house where they lived, and when my granddad was still living, my grandmother was almost always humming or singing or whistling and um, there was there were a number of songs that she would sing or or hum or whistle but the one that I remember most is is this one and I don't know if I can get my lips my 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 whistle to work but but it goes something like this
How many of you know that song? Yeah, a lot of you know that song. Joy bells, joy bells, ringing in my heart. Joy bells, joy bells, ringing in my heart. Take the Savior here below with you everywhere you go, and you can have the joy bells ringing in your heart. Amen. As we take a few minutes this morning to talk about fullness of joy, let me give, I I think I'm going to probably end up giving a couple of disclaimers uh, at different times in this message, but here's the first disclaimer. Um, If you are not yet a Christ follower, uh, you are, are welcome to listen in, and I do hope that the message will speak to you and uh, give you a hunger uh, to want to know Jesus. Uh, but this message is primarily addressed to, to Christians. Uh, so you may, if you're, if you're not a Christ follower, you may hear something that uh, maybe doesn't make sense to you or you don't quite understand, and if that's the case, it's all right. Um, th- this, is, this is primarily for those uh, who have already made a commitment to follow Jesus. Um, most of us as, as Christians, those of us who are Christ followers, we know that we are supposed to have joy, right? You, you kind of know that as Christians, we're supposed to have joy. I mean, in, in fact, for many of us, uh, that may have been part of the, uh, the draw or the attraction to coming to know Christ, to, to have a, a desire for peace in your heart and joy in your life and, and in coming to, to seek Jesus or to, to become a Christian, uh, that maybe was a motivating factor for you. And we read in the scripture that Christians are supposed to be people who have joy in their lives. The fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, so on and so forth. So it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, it's one of the evidences that the Spirit of God has taken up residence in your heart, is that you have joy. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, the Apostle Paul gives us this command, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That word rejoice is is a word that is related to uh, the word joy. In John chapter 15 and verse 11, Jesus tells his disciples there and tells us that he has come and that in following him there's a possibility that we might have fullness of joy. In uh, the letter of 1 John, 1 John, uh, he tells his audience that he is writing so that your joy might be full or might be complete. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10, all the way back to the Old Testament. Uh, they understood the, the, the importance of joy in their life. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. And there's something about having the joy of the Lord in our hearts that empowers us to live daily uh, as a Christian ought to live. You know, when you are down and discouraged and depressed, 
you just, it's a lot harder to stand up tall and to stand up straight and to face the world and face the devil, isn't it? Sure. But when you have the joy of the Lord in your heart, I remember uh, one young preacher, uh, he was just getting his start and uh, he, uh, he said his grandmother used to go with him everywhere he went to preach. And uh, this was quite a number of years ago. I heard the, the I heard the preacher tell this himself. He said he uh, he said some things that uh, that uh, in the pulpit that weren't always uh, appropriate, maybe not always in good taste. And uh, uh, he said that one time he was preaching, uh, he he was just blessed and encouraged in the Lord and encouraged with the Lord's help. And he and he said, "Well, hallelujah! I feel like I've got the world by the tail." And he said after, his, after that service was over, his grandmother uh, said, Now, uh, son, you d- don't say that from the pulpit that you feel like you've got the world by the tail. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes when, when God is blessing and God is helping and we know the reality of the joy of the Lord in our hearts, we, we feel like uh, we can take on the world and the flesh and the devil and, and nobody can touch us. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. So, fullness of joy. Let me ask you this morning, as a Christian, do you have joy in your heart? Do you have the fullness of joy that is available through Jesus Christ. And some of you may be sitting there thinking, well, pastor, it's hard to feel joyful when you're feeling guilty for not having joy. I, uh, that's a disclaimer number two. I, I'm not here to make anybody feel guilty uh, for not feeling like you think you ought to feel. Um, There are times when we all need to be reminded of the old saying, feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. Some of you need to write that down and memorize it and say it to yourself over and over again. Feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My hope is in the word of God, not else is worth believing. Do you have joy this morning? Well, what is joy? What is joy? You know, we need some understanding uh, about what joy is and where it comes from. When I talk to you this morning about joy, I'm not talking about some a sense of frivolity and fun that you could work up by maybe hearing a good joke. I enjoy a good joke as much as anybody, I suppose. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about something that you could uh, work up by maybe going to an amusement park or maybe listening to uh, your favorite song or something. I'm not talking about any of that. What I'm, I, what I'm talking about is not directly connected to our emotions. It's only indirectly connected to our emotions. 
one author, one of my favorites, Dallas Willard. In, in fact, he's um, around my house. Um, I have read so much of Dallas Willard and quoted him so often that uh, we have begun to affectionately call him Uncle Dallas. And um, Uncle Dallas says, Joy is a pervasive sense of overall well-being, the primary component being delight because of an all-encompassing good well-secured. I know that's a mouthful. Um, someone else, one of my professors from Bible College, a man named Dr. Alan Brown, says that joy is the satisfaction that comes from attaining what is good from God's perspective. The satisfaction that comes from attaining what is good from God's perspective. <clears throat> now, we should also understand that in Bible language, Bible lingo, we might say, that happiness and joy are synonyms. Now, if you've heard much preaching, you may have heard preachers talk about how joy and happiness are different things. Now, I would agree in the way we use language today in our 21st century world that the way we use the words happiness and the way we use the word joy, they're, they're totally different things. In our understanding, happiness depends on circumstances, what happens to you. And joy is something different. But in the Bible days, uh, happiness and joy were pretty much synonymous. The Bible would use the word that is translated as blessed. Blessed, if you're familiar with the Beatitudes, words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, uh, where he tells us such things as, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the the force or the impact of what Jesus is saying in those words is not just blessed are the meek. It's, it's an expression of exclamation. He's literally saying, oh, the blessedness of the man or the woman who is meek. Oh, the blessedness of those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If we want to go back and look at this second definition from Dr. Brown, that, the, that joy or blessedness is the satisfaction that comes from attaining what is good from God's perspective, we could look at a couple of Bible verses to kind of fill out our understanding of what this means and what joy is. Psalm 146 and verse 5 says this, Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. In other words, the one whose hope is in the Lord his God, that person has joy. Now let me ask you a question. Is it possible to possess that whether your circumstances are good or bad? Yeah, absolutely. So we can have joy in our hearts and joy in our lives even if life around us is falling apart. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Or we might say the one who finds wisdom and gets understanding has joy. 
You know, friends, some of the most well-learned lessons in my life have come not when everything was wonderful, but they've come through the times of difficulty in my life. Those have been times that I've gained understanding and I've found wisdom. And that has helped me in the most trying times of life to realize that I can have joy in my heart, even though I'm experiencing times of great trouble or problem or difficulty. Another verse, Romans chapter 14, verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. This is another, another example. I, we, could, we could preach a message just from that verse about what that verse is saying, but um, that's a different message. What we're talking about is understanding, one, that the idea uh, of blessedness and joy in Bible language, those two are interconnected and synonymous. And, and two, that it is something that comes from attaining what is good from God's perspective. Something else I believe that we need to understand about joy is that it is a byproduct. Joy is a byproduct. In other words, Joy is not something that you can find or attain by seeking after joy itself. If you want joy in your heart, you don't find it by looking for joy. You find it by looking for something else. Joy is not specific to our circumstances. It's not something that we, can, that we can get by pursuing after it directly. We have to pursue after something else. Byproduct, a, a good uh, illustration of what a byproduct is. If, you, uh, if you're not familiar, the definition of byproduct is it is an incidental or a secondary product made in the manufacture or synthesis of something else. So a byproduct is something that happens either incidentally or secondary to the pursuit of another more primary pursuit. Let me give you a wonderful illustration of a byproduct. You may have heard me use this illustration before, but molasses is a wonderful example of what a byproduct is. Molasses is a, a thick, dark syrup that is a byproduct of refining sugar. It results when sugar is crystallized out of sugar cane or sugar beet juice. And to make molasses, sugar cane is harvested and stripped of leaves and its juice is extracted usually by cutting, crushing, or mashing. we could draw some parallels to life and, and spirituality from, from that in itself. Molasses comes when sugarcane is harvested, stripped of leaves, its juice is extracted by cutting, crushing, or mashing. Friends, some, sometimes we face the challenges of having life beat us up and cut us apart and tear us down, and we go through difficulty and trouble and trial. 
Yet if we allow God to do His work in our hearts and in our lives through those difficult times, we will find that it can bring about joy if we let it. Going back to molasses, how it is produced, the the juice that comes from the sugar cane is then boiled to concentrate it, and, and then it promotes sugar crystallization. And the result of the first boiling uh, is called the first syrup, or the A-grade molasses, and it has the highest sugar content. Now, I've got to be honest with you and tell you I don't care particularly for molasses by itself. I've been to restaurants where they will serve you uh, a, a big roll a big bun and they'll bring around a big pot or jar of molasses and give you molasses for your bread for your roll but oh you can do wonderful things with molasses somebody smile at me (laughs) you can do wonderful things with molasses one of my kids had to do i don't remember which one it was maybe zeb but you could do uh he had to come up with a recipe or something, and he, he did some research, and he found a recipe for something called shoe fly pie. Anybody ever had shoe fly pie? Do you have shoe fly pie with some vanilla ice cream or some whipped topping on there? And that's pretty good stuff. It's one of the good things you can do with molasses. My grandmother used to make homemade gingerbread. She just called it a gingerbread, but it was kind of like a cake. And... Um, Not everybody at my house cares for it that much, but oh, it's one of my favorite things. And you need molasses to make a gingerbread. You can make molasses cookies, or or some of you may know them as ginger snaps or something to that effect. And you need molasses for that. Wonderful things that come out of this, this byproduct. And you see, friends, this is what joy is for the Christian. It's not something that we get by pursuing directly after joy. Joy, you see, is the only fruit of the Spirit not intended to be a focus of growth and development. Its very existence presupposes the pursuit not of it, but of something else. Did you catch that? Let me say it one more time. Its very existence presupposes the pursuit, not of it, but of something else. You see, joy is broader and deeper than pleasure or pain. You see, you can have pleasure without joy. You can have pleasure without joy. And you can also have real joy in the midst of tremendous pain. What are you talking about, Pastor? Any, any of you that have ever seen a child come into the world knows that there can be joy in the midst of tremendous pain. And you see, friends, the moment we focus on pursuing joy itself, we will fall short of finding joy. The moment we make that the focus of our pursuit, say, so, Pastor, how is it that we find real joy. Real joy, I believe, comes from the pursuit 
of and the finding of God himself. Real joy comes from the pursuit of and the finding of God himself. One of my favorite memory verses, Psalm 1611, says that you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And you see, friends, when we begin pursuing the joy, we will end up empty and dissatisfied and disillusioned. But if we turn our attention away from that and begin focusing our attention on the God who is the joy giver, the joy supplier, we will find that there in His presence is fullness of joy. In Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, the, the uh, prophet here says something that I think is very interesting. I, I don't know how many of you have heard people say, I choose joy. I choose joy. Um, I understand what they're saying, and I appreciate the sentiment. I, I would a whole lot rather have people say, I choose joy, rather than to, you know, walk around and you know. But I think that it is a, it's a little bit of a misnomer, or, or it's not quite the right way to say it, to say, I choose joy joy. Because wouldn't everybody choose joy if they had a choice? Sure, everybody would. And you see, friends, joy cannot be mustered by willpower when it is lacking a source. That's one of the things about a byproduct. You can't get the byproduct if you don't go after the primary thing that you're searching for. If we look at Habakkuk chapter 3, I'm not going to take the time to read the entire chapter to you, but uh, Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 1 through 16, the whole first part of the chapter, is all about the greatness and the power of God. The prophet speaks there in, in highly poetic uh, language, and he's talking about the greatness and the power of God. In other words, that is the focus of his attention. If you study the story of Habakkuk, you find that there would have been a lot of reasons for him to be down in the dumps, for him to be distressed and depressed and discouraged. But in Habakkuk chapter 3, he focuses his attention on the greatness and the power of God. And then when he comes down to the end, verse 17, he says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, and the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation." So when he says, I will take joy in the God of my salvation, it's not a matter of empty joy. It's not a matter of him trying to produce some emotional feeling of fun or frivolity, but rather he says, I am keeping my attention no matter how things are falling apart around me, no matter how bad the circumstances are for me, I am keeping my attention focused on the greatness and the power of God. And you see, friends, that's where we have a choice. We can't produce joy 
in our hearts with our own willpower, but we can choose the focus of our attention. And there are times, friends, when as an act of faith and worship, we turn our attention away from the, the, the negative things, the bad things that are happening in our lives around us, and we focus our attention on God himself. What about loss of joy? You know, so many of us find that whether it be in feelings of being loved or feelings of having joy and satisfaction in our hearts that we are, are often like a leaky bucket. And no matter how much gets poured in, it just kind of drains out. And we find ourselves just constantly bleh, unfulfilled, unhappy, no joy. And often when we find we have lost joy, we may try to manufacture a substitute for joy. We may go looking for a source of entertainment to distract our minds for a while. We may at times even, as, as Christians, and I've, I've known of this pretty much all my life, we have a tendency uh, as people who really want to know and please God to think, I just need to read my Bible a little bit more, I just need to pray a little bit more, and then I'll be okay. And those things end up being legalistic approaches to trying to renew our joy from within us. <clears throat> well, friends, if joy is a byproduct, then the loss of joy means that we have lost something else. We've lost something else. Perhaps we have lost our relational connection with God or with the church. Can I tell you kindly, friends, that we are not meant to live the Christian life in isolation? We need our connection both with God Himself and also with the church, with other believers. We need that connection. And when we lose that and we wonder, you know, and I've heard people say it, oh, I can serve God, you know, wherever I'm at. And, and I suppose if you are stranded on a desert island, that God would give you grace to be a Christian by yourself. I, I believe he would. I believe he would. But that would be the only kind of excuse I believe that you and I would have legitimately to try to be a Lone Ranger Christian, so to speak. Loss of joy. We've either lost our relational connection to God Himself or we've lost our relational connection to the church. Sometimes we might find we have only a fleeting joy or a temporary joy because we have only a, a, a weak connection to God or to the church. And that needs to be enhanced and strengthened. We could have lost joy because of lost 
focus on the truly important things of life. Poor Peter always gets criticized in the Bible, but this is the, the, the easiest illustration to remember from uh, about this point of lost focus. You know, you remember the story of Jesus coming to the disciples walking on the water and Peter calling to him, Lord, if that's really you, you call to me. And then I'll come walking on the water to where you are. And I can imagine the look on Peter's face. I would love to have seen the look on his face when he stepped out of that boat and found the water to be a solid surface that he could walk on. And yet, very shortly, he loses sight, he loses focus of Jesus himself and gets distracted by the winds and the waves, the circumstances of life around him. And friends, when we as believers lose our focus on Jesus, our Savior and our guide, we will find that life around us is disturbing and troubling and distressing. And it's difficult, if not impossible, to have any kind of real joy when we're distracted by the circumstances of life. It could be through works of the flesh that we have loss of joy. When I say works of the flesh, I'm, it, it could involve sin. It could be something sinful. Or it could be simply a failure to walk faithfully in the Spirit, to be faithfully keeping in step with the Spirit. I don't know of any easier way for a Christian to lose joy in their heart than failing to walk in the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. You see, friends, as we walk in the Spirit, this is, this is the point of Galatians chapter 5 where Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, that they are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Those are all fruits or they are results of us walking in the Spirit. So, friends, if you need to restore lost joy, don't go looking for joy. Again, that's like trying to fill an empty bucket that's full of holes. But rather, go back and begin thinking about the primary thing that you lost. And begin to renew that. And you might say, but pastor, I don't feel like it. And I understand that difficulty with feelings... And I've got to be honest with you and tell you, you, you that have been around enough, you know me well enough to know that this is an area where I struggle, this area with uh, the, the, the mental, the emotional challenges of life, and, and it's sometimes difficult for me. And there have been times in my life when I could do nothing but pray, Jesus, have mercy on me. Don't know what else to say, don't know how else to pray, don't know, can't hardly feel like I can put a coherent thought together to express it to the Lord. But I've found in simply 
that little expression of what faith I could muster to say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, that God is faithful to help me through that time and bring me out to where I can see clearly and think clearly and get my focus where it needs to be. Go back and look for the primary thing that you have lost and renew that. And sometimes, friends, whether you feel like it or not, following Jesus, whether we, whether we feel good or whether we feel bad, is simply about taking the next right step and doing it as an act of faith and an act of worship. And we find then that God brings us through. That's a, this is the third, uh, the third disclaimer. Um, those of you that may struggle or wrestle with feelings of either depression or anxiety or, or discouragement, this is not a message intended to, uh, to beat you up or to make you feel bad about yourself. I want to encourage you if, you, if you live with that, this pastor knows what that is like. I know what that is like. And be encouraged, friends. And sometimes if you don't feel like you can do anything but, but say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Keep crying out in faith, believing that there is a good God and God will bring you through. God will bring you through. <clears throat> this man is a preacher and missionary named Robert Reed. Max Lucado tells a little bit about Robert Reed in his book, The Applause of Heaven. I don't know how well you can see from this picture, but Robert's hands are twisted and his feet are useless. He cannot bathe himself. He cannot feed himself. He can't brush his teeth or comb his hair or even put on his underwear. His shirts are held together by strips of Velcro, and his speech drags like a worn-out audio cassette. Because, you see, Robert was born with cerebral palsy. It's an affliction that keeps him from driving a car or riding a bicycle. It keeps him from going for a walk. But it didn't stop him from graduating high school or attending Abilene Christian University, from which he graduated with a degree in Latin. Having cerebral palsy didn't keep him from teaching at a St. Louis junior college, or from venturing overseas on five missions trips. And Robert's affliction didn't prevent him from becoming a missionary in Portugal. As hard to believe as it is, Robert in 1972, moved alone to Lisbon, Portugal. While there, somehow, by himself, he rented a hotel room and began studying Portuguese. He found a restaurant where the owner of that restaurant would feed him after the rush hour was over and then tutor him and instruct him in the Portuguese language. Then he began to station himself daily in his wheelchair in a city park where he began distributing brochures about Jesus. 
And do you know, friends, that within six years, he had led 70 people to the Lord, one of whom became his wife, Rosa. If you were to hear Robert speak, you would watch as other men push or carry him to the platform. They would lay a Bible in his lap, and he, with his stiff and curled fingers, would, doing the best he can, begin to maneuver and manipulate the pages of his Bible to get to the place that he wanted to read from. Robert could ask for sympathy or pity, but instead he does just the opposite. He holds up his bent hand in the air and boasts, I have everything I need for joy. Why? Because you see, friends, joy, the joy of the Lord is not something that is dependent on our circumstances. It's not something that is dependent on what happens around us. It is a byproduct that comes to us when we focus our attention on the pursuit of and the finding of God himself. Amen. I want to close this morning with a little song, a chorus. And uh, you may not even know this song, but I'm going to ask you to try it with me anyhow. Um, I'll teach it to you. Stand with me if you would.